The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We are loaded up, man. Getting ready for Nebraska, Minnesota. Uh, we'll spend some time with our uh, dear friend Mitch Sherman's article from The Athletic. Part of the uh, Athletic's coaching carousel uncovered. And uh, who... <laughs> we still haven't forgotten 2003... From Smiley Jones, Steve Peterson, the elevator picture of Bernard Thomas in his man bun, wanting to, well, let's just say what it is. If we would put a thought bubble with that picture in the elevator, there's Mark Bame, there's Steve Peterson, there's a bunch of ticked off black shirts where if looks could kill, right? <laughs> Somebody's eyes would have been gouged out. But a fascinating look behind the scenes by Mitch. He previewed it yesterday with us. Today, we'll spend time with Mike Babcock, Nebraska, Minnesota, on uh, on his mind. Also kind of revisit his take on 03. Mike Shuhart, Shuey going to be with us. And then we'll dive into some Big Red breakdown with Jacob Padilla. Get Jacob's thoughts, too, as the doorstep of basketball season upon us. And then former Gopher coach and Kansas coach, Glenn Mason, his takeaway with this upcoming matchup. Numbers for you to get in. Can dial us up at 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Those are your, are your numbers. Can find and follow us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio for Chris Schmidt. Me at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. And can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. couple, three questions I have to get us off and running out of the gate. You know, for Saturday... Is this thing going to be tight and tense? I know the line is what it is. I think it's up to, what, four and a half, five points maybe. Uh, started out at three and a half. Do you expect this thing to, to be another one-score game? We can ask it every week. And I can I can kind of waffle between uh, Nebraska gets out fast and, and scores some points and has some breathing room because – They've played pretty well, and Minnesota's not Michigan. Minnesota's not Sparty. Minnesota's not Oklahoma. But I know that it's a whole special hell trying to win on the road in college football, specifically the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska has played up to their recent run of top ten opponents. They did not play down to Northwestern two weeks ago. And then there's Minnesota, kind of off of the bye week, 
Minnesota's still a, a team that's over 500. Minnesota's still a team that went out and smoked Colorado. Minnesota's team has also lost to a, a MAC team and scored a whopping nine points, right, against Bowling Green. So that, that's where I'm at. They also went on the road at Purdue in, in, a, in a slog fest. They're depleted. They're down. They're down to their third running back. They're, the skill talent around them isn't wonderful, but they are going to lean on you with those big bodies. And they've got some dudes on the edge defensively. It'll be interesting to see Nebraska's tackles back in familiar roles uh, take steps forward with Ben Hart and Turner Corcoran. So it's always interesting to, to look at, you know, what what way this game could start and shake out. Also, it is Wednesday, which means it's a Hale Varsity mailbag day. And a really good question submitted to HaleVarsity.com. We talked about the final five, you know, driving for six for Nebraska, finding a way to get to bowl eligibility. That would be so Nebraska, wouldn't it, for them to go three and two in their final five? And the, the email bag question to HaleVarsity.com that, that, uh, that Drake and, and Babbers and Vogel and Aaron are a part of, along with Steve and Greg Smith as well and Jacob Padilla, all the wonderful .com and magazine folks. You got to try and answer this, Elijah. Pick three. Pick three wins. It would be very Nebraska to find a way to beat Ohio State, to beat Iowa, and uh, to, to take down... Uh, some of the who's who, Wisconsin, you don't win in, in whiskey ever, uh, despite what they're doing this year. Those three wins would be celebrated and championed forever, uh, which means you'd lose to Minnesota and Purdue. It'd be very Nebraska to, to be maddening like that because you'd have the the joy and the exaltation. Hey, you beat a couple of top 10 teams. Wonderful. And and you, you won in, in Madtown, finally. And then, oh, yeah, there's there's two Illinois-like losses on the schedule. I think they can get to three and two. I think four and one would be really cool, and I think they can do it. It, it all starts Saturday, but I'm I'm interested. If I'm gonna, if I'm to pick three, I want more than three. That's my response to the pick three. If I'm a Nebraska fan, give me four with another. Loss to another, but this time a competitive loss to Ohio State. Go whack an unbeaten Iowa. Get that opportunity. Go win in Madtown. Take down Minnesota. Defend home field against Purdue. And then let things shake out how they shake out against Ohio State. Ohio State's going to be really, really, they're already really, really good, but they're going to be kind of hitting their stride when they come in in November. Uh, their offense is nuts, but their defense is going to get fixed. So uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be. Uh, high stakes for Nebraska. I, I kind of have a sneaky feeling that there's going to be drama. It's going to be hard on Saturday for Nebraska against Minnesota. I think they'll find a way to, to get a close win against a team they look like, right? And I think it's maybe going to come down again to finally you, you, you get the mulligan with a two-minute drill. I think that'd be justice. What scares me here is you said I think they find a way to get a win in a close game, and I, I I'll believe it when I see it. No, I fair take, absolutely. But much like getting the signature win, uh, executing a two minute drill eventually has got to happen, doesn't it? Uh, does it? <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, you're not so. I'm not so sure that it has to happen. Like it's you could just have a bad two minute drill. 
<laughs> I would like to think with that Nebraska those weapons doesn't. and a quarterback that can extend plays. You shouldn't. I would like to think if Nebraska wins in a close game against Minnesota, it's because of the defense, not because of the offense. That's what I'd like to believe. That Nebraska goes in there up gets 14 points in the fourth. Minnesota comes back, gets a touchdown. They get the ball back with four minutes left, down seven points. The defense gets a stop, and the offense runs it out. That's how I see the game going more likely, as opposed to Nebraska being down three, and they can go win with a touchdown. I, I still have yet to believe the offense can do that. I think the defense, though, can hold fast. If I've been looking for three wins in those games, though, uh, Minnesota's winnable. Purdue's winnable. Wisconsin's winnable, and I like the fact you have Iowa at home. Ohio State still really scares me. If you would have had them in the first four weeks of the season, that's I, I when you get them. That's when you get them. But CJ Stroud, uh, he has taken strides this season. Even if you went back and watched the the Oregon game or the Minnesota game to kick off the year, he is head and shoulders above where he was back then. The defense is picking up, uh, picking up their pace. Uh, they're getting into their stride. Ohio State, I think, is a is a game that's going to be really hard for Nebraska to match up in. However, the other games left on the schedule. Um, if any team in the Big Ten West can beat Iowa, I think it's Nebraska. Plus the fact Nebraska, I think it's a much better team than Purdue and is a better team than Minnesota. And let's not forget, both those two teams are ahead of Nebraska in the Big Ten West standings right now. No, this and I is think Nebraska is a better football team. I think you know, Nebraska knows if they want to finish where they want to finish in the Big Ten West, they need Minnesota and they need uh, to get a win against Purdue. So I like Nebraska in these next two games. Right. The, these next two are not negotiable. Saturday's not negotiable. And I think you can get one out of your final three, right? One out of your final three, Iowa, Wisconsin. Maybe you play out of your mind and it finally happens. Maybe you get a night game again with Ohio State. We'll see what November weather looks like. If, if Wisconsin was at home, I think Nebraska could like, – Totally you, 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 you could mark that down as a win against Wisconsin, but – Madison's been going to be uh, it's going to be a nine to six classic. It's been uh, Madison has just been like it's Nebraska. It's it's been Nebraska's like kryptonite since they've joined the Big Ten. I don't think I can remember Wisconsin them ever having a good performance move. there. I mean, Michigan hadn't won there since one. so you you just you just don't win there. You just don't. Win. I mean, even even some of Ohio State's greatest teams, the Tattoo Gate, you know, prior led Buckeyes, right? They didn't win there, or I mean, or if they do win, it's one of those. <laughs> well, they escaped twenty three to seventeen. I mean, I, I hate to put it out there, but that game against Wisconsin feels like it's going to be a Nebraska shoot themselves in the fourth quarter kind of game, where you're up in the fourth, similar to the Michigan State game, where you you got the, the Elijah, typical you have road two weeks in a bye week to work on your ball security. And I, and I hate to put that out there, but against a raucous crowd, against a team that. Honestly, I don't think has the same talent as Nebraska. It still feels like a game where Nebraska can go in there, shoot themselves in the in the foot in the fourth quarter, and end up with a loss despite being the better team. Here's the thing that needs to happen: uh, we we watch the Michigan game, and Minnesota is going to do the same thing. They're going to try and play some keep away, right? Keep Adrian and Nebraska's offense on the sideline, put seven to eight minute drives together. I mean that that was Michigan to a T, where it's it's seven, eight, nine double digit plays. Six and a half, you know, four to four to seven minute window of of time of possession where it's just sledgehammer, sledgehammer, sledgehammer. Going to be repeat performance by Minnesota as far as that that'll be their game plan, where they go with forty eight linemen and, and let's play rugby. So it'll be interesting and important for Nebraska to to, to lean on some of that depth, but also just continue to withstand when we think about all the energy. How deep this defense has had to dig throughout this season, and how it's pretty much carried 
carried the team till the offense kind of got going. With defense, with, as great as the defensive performance was against Sparty, that takes a hell of a lot out of you. It, it does. The defense uh, really did well situationally against Michigan. But you saw some of the athletes Michigan had on top of the tight end, uh, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi tight end release on third and eight. And then you saw the defense really hang in and in between the 20s competed at an insane level against Oklahoma. I mean, holding them down, for God's sake, to, to 23 points. So you don't want you don't want the bottom to fall out of your defense because you've been you've been pulling double shifts all season long. Mitch Sherman's article the coaching search, Nebraska, 42 days, Steve Peterson, 03. This is fascinating. I refuse to let this program gravitate to mediocrity. We will not surrender the Big 12 Conference to Oklahoma and Texas. Meanwhile, uh, old Stevie P had a backpack full of explosives and sat down, and there goes Nebraska's program the last two decades. This was incredible as the athletic Mitch Sherman, Max Olson, uncovered the, uh, the much-discussed and long-unknown identity of the head coach that Stevie P had circled, and it was Mike Sherman, uh, Zach Taylor's uh, father-in-law, you know, future father-in-law, uh, and the Green Bay Packers head coach. Uh, you went to Al Saunders, OC for Kansas City. And then there was the Houston nut debacle. I remember talking to Houston when he was doing some serious XM radio back in 13. And he talked to us. He's like, yeah, it was just really weird how quickly they wanted to make this decision. And then uh, when push came to shove, Bill Callahan fell in, in Nebraska's lap. It was one man's ego. It was one man's quest to reinvent Nebraska football that was going nine and three while not winning titles anymore. But man, he wanted recruiting. He wanted, he wanted fluff. He wanted high-level performance. He wanted pro style. And uh, when push came to shove, man, you, you passed on Bo. You passed on Turner. You passed on Rich Rod. You, I mean, there's a lot of names, pro and college, that were associated with this. Jim Grobe was a name, also uh, the Wake Forest coach. You know, who'd heard of Wake Forest uh, aside from Brian Piccolo or Tim Duncan? Well, Wake Forest was pretty good. Uh, and it was just fascinating. Maybe you've read it, maybe you've checked into it, but it was uh, pretty entertaining with all that Nebraska went into uh, when it comes to $2.5 million on the table. And Houston Nuts like, you know, I'm good, I'm sticking here. Uh, you had Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings, of course, that was sought after as part of this. Uh, he was with Dallas at the time, but they all ended up just kind of turning it down and you, you settled with Bill Callahan, who brought in some incredible players that, that Bo developed and did well with. And there were some guys that, there were some dudes that Nebraska just usually didn't get on campus ever. Uh, they ended up winning uh, with, a, with, a, with a coaching change. But Bill Cower, Butch Davis would have been incredible. Because of what he did at Miami, Dave Wanstad and uh, Steve Mariucci, Spurrier, Rich Rod, Tedford, Urban Meyer would have been all right. But when push oh, comes yeah, to shove, would have been all right. <laughs> when push comes to shove, you just don't you don't go make the change. 
and even people around Steve Peterson was like, look, the dude changed. Everyone thought he was going to nail it for Nebraska because he was a Nebraska guy. But he was so obsessed with kind of trying to replicate USC. By the way, Pete Carroll was SC's like sixth choice in 99. It worked out well. Uh, we know why it worked out well. Combination of talent and payroll, allegedly. And, and SC won at, at an incredibly high level. But that's what Nebraska was trying to do. Nebraska just in a different spot in 2003 than where USC was. Nebraska wasn't knocking on the door of trying to win championship or knocking on the door of winning championships. They were trying to to get back. Now you may ironically you make the move two years removed from playing for a national championship, and the best you've done is a 10-win season, a 14th ranking, and that was with Bo and company with a lot of the Callahan recruits. We'll get Babber's take on this and uh, more on Nebraska-Minnesota. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Coming up, we'll check in with Jacob Padilla and uh, Glenn Mason. Former coach at Minnesota and Kansas with his next hour. We say hi to historian, author, Hall of Famer, and uh, great work uh, for so many years with Hale Varsity Magazine, HaleVarsity.com. Mike Babcock with us at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing okay, Smitty. How about you? We're all right, man. A lot to get into. And what to get your takeaway from Michigan? Do you feel different? Do you feel better with how the, the team's going, even though it was another same song, next verse, when it comes to heartache? Well, yeah, um, I, I think I say the same thing that I say every week. Uh, let's let's see the next step. You know, let's see Minnesota now. Here's a here's a team that uh, PJ Flex been kind of a frustration for the Huskers, and uh, Nebraska's had the uh, had the big win against Northwestern, and then the frustration of Michigan. So let's see how the Huskers respond. Um, if they if they respond well against Minnesota, I think I'll feel good about it. I think you're right, and and that's always kind of the key. You can't just take for granted the token response that's been been part of the build here. And you know, do you think Nebraska will will kind of solve? There's a lot of things they got to solve, but uh, there's going to be instances, not only maybe Saturday but beyond, where the offense is going to have to deliver in crunch time. Do you think they're they're? We talk about signature wins. Do you think they're close to that? if they get another opportunity with a two-minute drill? Uh, you know, I would hope that they would. Um, and, and, again, I think Minnesota will be a good test because Minnesota has a really good rush defense. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, Nebraska has talked about. And, and I thought, you know, we've seen progress there uh, being able to establish some kind of a running game. Um, but let's see what Nebraska can do against Minnesota. And from that standpoint, and, uh, you know, you, you would hope maybe that it won't come down to the uh, late game, uh, last-second type thing uh, with Minnesota. But, uh, again, you never know with the, with the Gophers. Mike, I think the thing that impresses me most with Nebraska's rushing attack isn't Adrian or Ramir or even the line shakeup. It's they've stayed patient with this patient with it. Nebraska's 
a more patient team now than they were against Illinois. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think that that's, you know, that we felt that that, that was what Nebraska needed to do is commit to the run in certain situations and, and stay with it, be patient, and feel like you're going to maybe wear the defense down a little bit. Um, I, I think you can't just run a couple plays and it's like, well, that's not working, so let's just throw the ball all over the place. I, I don't think that's the way the offense is set up. So, um, yeah, uh, consistency, uh, confidence in the run game, and a willingness to stay with it, I think are important aspects of what Nebraska does needs to do offensively. Mike, Nebraska has scored 223 points this year, which is 34 more than Iowa, the, the next best team in the Big Ten West, who scored 189. So Nebraska, compared to the rest of the Big Ten West, appears to have a, a pretty good offense, but it's my last week of midterms at UNL. So I, I want to ask you, can you give a grade uh, on a scale of like A to F for, for the Nebraska offense so far this year? Because it seems that they have the best offense in the Big Ten West, but I'm not sure if, if Husker fans would agree with that. Um, yeah, I... Uh... Well, okay, so I, I'm going to give them a, uh, let's see, what should I do here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to be optimistic and say that I'm going to give them a B. Be optimistic, give them a B, I like that. It's a good word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, um, but but then, uh, you know, the reason I waver on that a little bit is um, the, the mistakes, uh, and they've cut down on those, but the mistakes on offense, um uh, you know, came down to a C or B. And uh, as I said, I'm going to be optimistic and give them a B. But you, you can't you can't make mistakes the way Nebraska has made some mistakes on offense and still be uh, as successful as you want to be. And uh, you know, I thought uh, Northwestern. You know, there there's a good example of what Nebraska can be um, in that situation. And there was not that constant shooting itself in the foot or making the critical mistake at the end. So um, that's why I say optimistic, I guess. Mike, do you worry about the defense wearing down? Well, um, yeah, the defense is on the field a lot. You know, that's a tough situation for you. But, uh, um, again, if, if, you're, if you're becoming more patient with the running game, um, you're going to cut down on that to some degree, I think, as having the defense back out on the field so much. Um, and I think that's one of the advantages of, of having confidence in your running game and establishing something um, is that you're not constantly putting your offense back out on the field. Although, I guess if you're putting your, off, your, your defense back out on the field um, because the offense is scoring touchdowns, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's a positive. But you know, as, as Frost has indicated, it, it's not the same thing as uh, uh, being at Central Florida where you're outscoring people 60 to 50 or whatever. Um, the Big Ten is not that way. So um, I think you need to uh, get the defense a break somehow, and that's one way to do it is establish some kind of running game and to be patient with it. Mike, going to go to the 2003 season and the Peterson decision to, to remove Coach Solich. Uh, our friend Mitch Sherman did his story with The Athletic on the, the coaching carousel part of the feature, and Mitch uh, talked a little bit about that yesterday. And uh, I know you, uh, you've you covered Nebraska football a long time, and uh, th- does it kind of shock you uh, with this series and the revisit with just the number of names attached and just how long the, the, the search went and then how badly 
it was botched and, and just the fact that uh, it's really kind of a new revelation with just how how messy it was. And then we're at where we're at right now with constant reset at Nebraska. Yeah, we saw some of that. Um, you know, how long it took and the names that surfaced and, you know, here's a candidate here and so forth. And then the plane lands out here and it, it was just a... I don't know. I, I was in the mindset at that point that Frank shouldn't have been released. So, um, I, you know, I, I was kind of down on the whole thing as it was. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, if Steve was trying to establish himself, um, you know, that it was going to be his program, he was going to kind of start things over, I guess. And, you know, he, he even made the decision to get rid of Frank when uh, I think Tom Osborne was was not around, uh, was not available to be involved in it. And I really feel like that if Steve would have taken the time to to listen to some of the things that Tom told him, um, I think it would have been a little bit different situation. But I think Steve wanted to be his own man, uh, wanted to be his own athletic director, and and as a result, um, he made some decisions that, uh, as we can see, turned out to be not such good ones. Were you uh, were you uh, staking out hotel lobbies? Were you phoning in friends down at Fayetteville? Uh, no, I wasn't involved in doing that. Uh, there were people that were certainly doing that, but uh, uh, no, I wasn't. Um, I was just kind of watching it, as Bill Callahan would say, from afar, uh, <laughs> a little bit there, and and. Uh, you know, I, I just was. I, I remember the Colorado game. Nebraska won the Colorado game just before uh, Steve uh, called the shot on getting rid of Frank. And, and I think Steve Sipple and I were standing down in the end zone. Nebraska scored or something. And, you know, the game ended and Nebraska won the game. And, and we looked at each other and said, Well, you know, I don't think he can fire Frank now. Do you think so? And I think our consensus was maybe, you know, maybe not that he wasn't going to get fired and then we went to the post-game uh, news conference and it was pretty obvious from the beginning that that's what was going to happen man how awkward was that presser in 03 with uh with uh steve saying hey uh we're not going to surrender yeah yeah that uh i don't know a lot of things you know you go back and look at a lot of things that were said at that time and it's like put them in context now you know that's the great opportunity to look back on things and you can say if if only this were this or this were that and you know we're not going to go to mediocrity and all that all that stuff but uh, you know there was probably sincerity in it when it was said but I, again I didn't agree with it Babbitt's going to switch to baseball you got your rally cap out for uh, for your Giants uh, Dodgers Giants series tied at two are you, you enjoying it yeah, you know it's it's uh, it's appropriate, I guess, that the two teams with the best record in Major League Baseball come down to a fifth game. The thing that's concerning to me as a Giants fan is that uh, Urias has been has pitched well against the Giants, um, and the Giants have not. You know they're they're looking for somebody to consistently step up, and they really haven't had that. I think in this series now they've gotten pretty good pitching, and I would have never guessed that Scherzer would have gotten beat one to nothing. Uh, the Giants got her done there, but uh, um, I'm I'm expecting the the Dodgers. I, I think across the board, the Dodgers probably have more talent, 
and uh, certainly uh, the pitching uh, favors, I think, the uh, the Dodgers at this point, again, with Urias um, being the guy to start. Uh, and, hey, you know, Logan Webb has pitched well for the, for the Giants, but, uh, boy, the, boy, the Dodgers have got some firepower and, you know, in two of the four games, they've they've really shown it. So um, I'm not optimistic, but uh, you never know. I mean, I would not have thought that Johnson win 107 games in the regular season either. So um, you never know what might happen. Are you able to to watch with with folks, or are you locking yourself in the Babbers Sports <laughs> Den to Do ride I this put, out? Uh, Tom Osborne said that uh, he talked to Bo Schembechler after Tom stepped aside. He said when Bo Schembechler told him that when he stepped aside, he couldn't watch it with other other people. He blocked himself in the basement and watched it himself. And that's Tom said that's what he was going to do. Um, you know, when he stepped aside as coach, I I kind of watch it. Um, Barb watches a little bit of it mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's a reasonable time, but um, with the uh, West you know West Coast starts. It's usually just me watching it uh, by myself. That's that's probably the way, uh, the best way for me to watch it. Babbers, get your uh, your snacks ready and enjoy tomorrow night, bud. Yeah, yeah. I hope that I hope I do, but uh, we'll see. But uh, looking forward to that Minnesota game as well. Absolutely, Mike. We'll get caught up next week. Thanks for your time, bud. Thanks, Mitty. All right, there he is, Mike Babcock, with his historian, author, Hall of Famer. Uh, good takeaways there on uh, Nebraska, Minnesota. And uh, Grandpa Schmidt, my uh, my grandpa, big Giants fan, so he's uh, he he was uh, kind of responsible for a little bit of Giant influence with me. And I, I I like both teams. I don't have a favorite, but Babbers, big time San Fran guy. We'll check in with Mike Shuhart. Shuey's on the way. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Glenn Mason's coming up, former Gopher coach, and did wonders at KU. Get his take on Nebraska-Minnesota Saturday. Roadshow for us. We're at the graduate for Friday afternoon show, 4 to 6. The Pride of Fairbury, Bill Dolman, going to be with us as uh, we are on the road again, powered by Arrow Brokerage, Ferris Financial Group. So we're uh, up in Minneapolis again from the graduate for Friday afternoon show, Friday morning, Saturday morning show, Saturday morning show, and then Real Red Reaction immediately following Nebraska, Minnesota around uh, about three o'clock or so. We say hi to Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, I know it's a little chillier today, a little breezier today, but man, you've had a, a stretch and I'm sure you ordered it from the almighty. You've had such a beautiful stretch of weather and sunshine for fall golf. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, the weather's been absolutely incredible. So, I've been really busy the last month with a lot of events going on, and the weather has cooperated very nicely for all those events and for our members and for our projects. So, uh, I'm very happy with that. hope it keeps coming. We needed this good weather as long as we can keep it. Bigger project right now, the, the finishing touches on my swim-up bar or Nebraska's two-minute drill offense? Oh, the swim-up bar, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, that they poured the, some of the walls for it yesterday, so it, it's getting really close to being uh, almost done pouring and just finishing touches, so it's getting really close. So Lazy River, right out of the Lazy River, 
walk over the bridge to the swim-up bar, go give yourself something to drink, um, kind of sit down, relax, and, and enjoy the sun. How about that? Are wings frowned upon? Uh, no, because I'll be having one also. Okay, good. So I can wear wings. That's good. So I got to ask you here, have you ever been attacked by bees while golfing J.R. Smith style? Uh, not bees, but I have been attacked by uh, um, ants, fire ants. Tell me so this playing, story. Actually, I was playing my, my second year trying to qualify for the tour. I was in Katy, Texas, and I was at the second stage of the qualifying school, and I was walked through a bunch of stuff to get to the tee box, and I kind of stopped there for a second. I knew nothing about fire ants at the time, and then I was got up and getting ready to hit my tee shot, and all of a sudden I started itching, and what the heck, and I looked down, and they, I was covered in them. My whole, all my pants, my legs, everything. So right there on the tee, I had to take my pants off, take my shirt off. <laughs> so they're nasty. So, Shuey, you were able to shed the gear in time, I hope, to, to prevent and then put on a show, right? Exactly. I did go on to qualify through that, but uh, that was my first experience with uh, the fire ants. Very much like the killer wasp, the ground wasp. Did did the uh, the tournament officials just think you'd you'd snapped and up oh, Shuey's stripping again? <laughs> a little bit. They're like, "What the heck?" So it's like, but the guy, one of the guys I was playing with, knew about fire ants. He said, "Oh man, you got the fire ant mound and blah blah blah. Oh. You got to get him off." But he wasn't any help because he's like, "Are you allergic to those? Because if you get too many bites, they'll kill you." So I'm going great. <laughs> <laughs> Forget making the two footer, right? I mean, exactly. it's, <laughs> Mike, you're not allergic to them because they they'll kill you. Yeah. Like super. Mike Shewart's with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Uh, check into memberships now with Shuey. Check in with Shuey on uh, getting doctored up the appropriate way uh, with your swing, with your game. And uh, Shuey's uh, great to be with us here on Hale Varsity. So uh, get to football with us and talk about Michigan. I'm sure you watched. I'm sure you you were heartbroken. But... Did you think they they had a – where were you at? Do you think they were going to win it, or are you just worried about them finding the way to lose it? Uh, I was kind of in the middle. I mean, I, I, I did think they were actually going to win that game. Okay. Uh, it was fun to watch. I mean, they played really good. You could tell at the end, though, that their defense just started gassing out, you know. But, I mean, they played – it was fun. It was a fun game to watch. It's – they're, to me, they're now playing football like uh, a Big Ten football team, you know, and kind of like a football team supposed to play. I mean, they play hard. Um, they don't have a whole lot of mistakes. Um, you can definitely see that Scott Frost and his crew have kind of changed their game plan into to what it is to play in the Big Ten, not to what it is to play West Coast. You know, so, I mean, they play a lot more. They run a lot more option. They run a lot more difficult, different things. And uh, so, and they play great defense. So, it was the last, especially that game. And the previous games, you can see them getting better. And that was another game that uh, I think they knew that if they played well, they could win. And they, they had every chance to win that game. You know, it's unfortunate that it happened like it did at the end, which is, 
kind of his M.O., which is going to be really unfortunate that he's going to go down as one of our best, worst quarterbacks ever to play at Nebraska. So, too bad. You know, and, and that's just it. The, the difference, there was a difference with, I mean, it was still a, a turnover, Shuey, but you get the forced error versus the giveaway, right? And it still sucks if you're a Nebraska fan because it's still the the, the straw that broke the back and it you just couldn't couldn't quite get it finished. Let's let's look ahead at the end of a of a really tough stretch, eight consecutive weeks. You have one more hurdle in Minnesota. You concerned? Do you think this thing's close Saturday, or do you think Nebraska, just because of the the, the moxie they have, do you think they're going to be able to go uh, take care of business? It's, it's one of those games you got to have for bowl eligibility. It's also a game you you should go in. You're you're favored. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean if you if you look at trends, I mean how have they played the last basically four games they played? I mean, they're, they're, they've played almost better every game, so they're trending in the right direction. But there's always that little scary part. You know what the last four years have been like, you know? So it's like, is that, that team at any moment could revert back to that, you think? I'm hoping that they're over that. It looks like they are, that, that they'll compete till the very end and compete relatively cleanly. You know, but, but in in the back of my mind, anyway, there's still that little doubt that man, they could they could do what they've done in the past, and that's kind of a scary thought. But the trend's showing that they're they're not going to do that. They've been really good the last four weeks, you know, and they've gotten better and cleaner and more efficient the last four weeks. So you you would hope that that would continue, and I think it will, just because even though they're not winning, they're having success. So that success breeds upon itself. So they're they're believing that they they're they're going to turn the corner, or they have turned the corner. So it seems like they're playing that way. So we'll see. I mean, the next couple of games will be really really crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can get two wins out of that, that'll be incredibly crucial. Yep. Get into uh, to Ohio State week five and four and. Go uh, in search of that sixth win. Shuey, got about 15 seconds. Uh, how can folks get a hold of you for lessons or find out more about membership, bud? Yeah, just contact us. Go to our website. You can contact any of the people on the website. Tammy Nagel for membership. You can call the golf shop um, for any kind of lesson information. We're really busy. I'm actually sending in my new office because we started yesterday, just starting to move into our new Pro Shop uh, Learning Center, so that's really exciting. That is good. Well, we'll uh, we're with you. Kill all the gophers, right? That's all right. <laughs> Should we be good? We'll talk next week. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Everybody, stay safe. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Still have. A chance today and tomorrow to get yourself a pair of Chris Stapleton tickets. PBA on Friday. It'd be an awesome show to be at. We are in Minneapolis. Roadshow powered by Aero Brokerage. Ferris Financial. Going to be at the Graduate right across from the Gopher Stadium uh, for a Friday afternoon show. Saturday morning show. Saturday afternoon. Real Red Reaction. Gearing you up for Nebraska and Minnesota. Jacob Padilla to talk uh, Big Red football, volleyball, and hoops in 10 minutes. Glenn Mason, former Gopher head coach, 
and uh, a jock doc on the way. You can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Coach Lubick spent time with the media yesterday. We had uh, thoughts from Coach Verdusco and Shenander yesterday uh, with part of the media session. Didn't have quite as much time to get to Coach Lubick, but two-minute drill's been on our mind. It could be a reality again on the road for Nebraska and the offense trying to drive and win it to Elijah's point. It could be a situation where the defense and the black shirts got to step up and shut down uh, Captain Morgan and company in the fourth quarter. The line right now at four and a half, so it's supposed to be a say it with me and take a shot, a one-score game. But here is Coach Lubick with uh, where Nebraska's at and the difficulty and, and really the work they're trying to do to get the right result on a two-minute drill. You got to practice and rehearse it, and then we do that all the time, uh, a couple times a week. And so I think the more you practice, the better you get. And you also got to have where your your players feel confident in that situation by having a little bit of success, and then having uh, concepts, run and pass concepts, specific to those situations that your players know what to do, that your quarterback knows the reads, and, and we can execute. So it's a combination of you know, as coaches trying to put them in the best plan of plays that we think are going to work versus the two minute situation we're going to have, and then the players having confidence enough to execute it by practice and repetition over and over and over again. I don't know that I've seen, and and I thought this has been touched on, but Nebraska looked confident. Okay, they looked confident against Michigan in their two-minute drill. I mean, they they were they were ready to either go get some redemption or go get the win uh, with the, the the Michigan outing. It just looked deer in headlights ish. And it was a, a monster momentum shift against Michigan State. And it really just looked discombob- discombobulated and no chance and no snowball's chance in hell against Oklahoma and even Illinois. But it was different because you hit that pass to, to Ray to start off uh, your go get, you go get the game-winning drive. You were down versus being tied, the fumble drive. But, you know, eventually you got to you got to tame that demon. You got to go get it done, uh, either offensively or defensively. And uh, we'll see if Nebraska gets an opportunity uh, coming up. Let's take caller five right now. Jet Splash Car Wash hosting their haunted tunnel event. You're invited out to that. And uh, it's a bit of a fundraiser as well, 84th and Highway 2, uh, if you're in Lincoln. But uh, what did I say, caller five? Caller five, thank you. Caller five right now gets a $25 gift card. With Hale Varsity and ESPN Lincoln. Collar five right now, $25 gift card to Jet Splash. Get you a shot at those Chris Stapleton tickets next hour. But Collar five now, the Jet Splash Car Wash certificate for 6637 76 or 800 825 5865. Collar five right now, hour two on the way. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's Hour 2, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Going to pack up the truckster, head to Minneapolis after tomorrow's show. 
and uh, get you ready for full coverage. Nebraska at Minnesota. Roadshow Hale Varsity Radio Friday and Saturday. Uh, we say hi to Jacob Padilla with this at Jacob Padilla underscore HaleVarsity.com and magazine. Jacob, thanks for the time, man. How's your week? Uh, it's pretty busy, but that's kind of where we are uh, in the calendar right now. For sure, for sure. Uh, between football coverage, volleyball, of course, and Husker Hoops looming. Jacob, always love your, your breakdowns, man, and uh, the work you do on HaleVarsity.com and, of course, the podcast you do with Damon Benning on a Herd Ad Media Family Network. Padding the stats, man, and a lot of, a lot of padding to, to get into with, uh, with Nebraska. And you, you touch on some, some key points. We'll start with Michigan and mindset and i've kind of touched on this with our different guests throughout where were you at you were a few rows down from me watching things unfold and not that you were rooting you're not but just you know sports you cover sports you coach it where was your confidence level at that nebraska was going to finish it wasn't particularly high um just for the same reason why i couldn't pick Nebraska to win that game, despite how well they've been playing, is just until they prove they can do it, um, I, I don't know why you would expect it to happen. Uh, it's a, a track record now uh, of being unable to finish in these situations, where, no matter the opponent. They, they've been in here uh, in that same spot against really good teams. They've been in that spot against uh, less than good teams. And uh, I mean, the, the track record speaks for itself. You go back and I kind of spelled it out of there with the um, uh, borrowing the work of um, a Twitter user, Stu, uh, Stu Manji, which is a phenomenal name. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they just uh, – Adrian Martinez, the only, he's one time has he led a, um, a scoring drive on Nebraska's final possession uh, down or tied in a game. And in that game uh, – that was the Iowa game in 2018 when Iowa got the ball back and went down and, and won at the uh, at the end of the game. So um, that that's it, it. Just hasn't happened. The only time Nebraska has won when going into the last possession tied or down a score was the Northwestern game uh, when Lane McCallum kicked the the game winner and Noah Vedra was that quarterback. So it's and again I try to make this clear. This isn't an anti-Adrian Martinez thing. Every, there's no such thing as a perfect player. And he just hasn't been able to deliver in that situation. But he was the reason that they had the lead in the first place. They had a fourth-quarter lead. They had the lead at the end of the third quarter. He was phenomenal in uh, that quarter and a half there to, to give them the chance to lead. And then uh, the defense, which has been very good for long stretches this year, wasn't able to get the stop they needed Um to, to finish that off, and then you put Adrian Martinez and the offense, not just him, it's the pieces around him as well, right back into that situation where they just haven't succeeded yet. Are you of the subscription that it's going to be more of the same as this season moves forward, or does Nebraska get some breathing room? Do you think they they play another tight one Saturday, or is it more of a uh, a little... I don't want to say easier, but there's there's more of a more of a buffer, <laughs> Jacob, with uh, with what the final score is. Yeah, it's it, it's tough to get a super great feel just because uh, Nebraska's last three games have been against top ten teams or a bottom ten team in Power Five uh, football in, in Northwestern. So 
they haven't really had a, a game against a middling team um, yet this season, really. Uh, you, you, uh, Illinois was probably closer to Northwestern than, um, than we'll see with Minnesota uh, or Purdue coming up. And um, obviously uh, Buffalo and Fordham are um, lower level, so they're just kind of a different story. So um, I think if, if Nebraska can do enough with the offensive line and those guys can play well enough, I think this is a game that the Huskers should come out and not have to worry about being in a one-score game late. Um, they, they should be the better team, especially with the injuries that, that Minnesota has, with uh, the struggles that Tanner Morgan has uh, had to replicate uh, his performance from a couple of years ago. Um, and obviously there, there's no love lost between these two programs, so you know both, both sides are going to be fired up going into this one. Um, Nebraska's got a couple guys that flat out said it that are Minnesota natives. That, and Levi Fox said he and Bryce Benhart just don't like Minnesota. So... Um, there'll be a lot going into this. Both sides will be fired up. And if Nebraska can simply execute, I would imagine they would be able to, to win this one uh, by more than um, going down to the wire. But we'll see if they can get out and uh, avoid those, those big mistakes again. Jacob Padilla is with us from Hale Varsity at Jacob Padilla underscore. Falk has been on the field in some big moments. Uh, really nice uh, at Michigan State. Uh, you saw him open at Michigan State, uh, was open for the crossing route at the end of the fourth quarter, and he's uh, made, made the, the nice little Alabama tribute motion, let's throw it where they ain't, uh, to, to give Nebraska the lead. Now, the other questions this week have been where's Omar, uh, where are Betts, the final two minutes. What's your take on that? I think Coach Luba gave a pretty good answer, but not a – not a thousand percent see-through answer. You I mean he, he? You know, it was, it was. Hey, uh, we're going with a hot guy. Duly noted. Totally agree with that. But you have some some incredible talent and mismatches. Quite frankly, uh, you'd like to see those guys if you're a Nebraska fan. What's your read on the rotation? Yeah, um, it, it sounds like there was some injury stuff there with Xavier Betts as well. That kind of played into that. He just wasn't wasn't at 100% and probably wasn't at 100% this week in preparation for the game. So that's kind of understandable there. Um, Omar, you never know. Um, again, we don't get to see kind of what these guys show in practice. You would really like to get to a point where this isn't a discussion topic, where you're wondering why certain guys aren't on the field that have performed uh, at different stretches. You'd like to be able to have your best players show up every single week uh, in practice and in the game so that you can rely on them. Uh, but for whatever reason, whether it's coaching, whether it's individual players, um, whatever the case may be, we, we, we can't answer that from the outside. But um, that's just not where Nebraska's at right now. So you just got to hope that um, the guys that are that called upon uh, that particular week uh, are ready to do their jobs and uh, to produce. Jacob, you touch on a couple of points in your padding the stance column. Uh, first, f- complimentary football, and you had the defense. They've done so much heavy lifting this year. The offense is starting to pick it up. You know, how, how close is Nebraska to, to becoming a complimentary football team? The other point you bring up is the defense going from good to great. Do they have greatness in them they've been and I think they've been great at times and I think back to Michigan State are they going to have to have another performance like that this year touch on those two two points 
Yeah. Um, that, that, like I said, they, they've got to find a way to not ask, have to put the ball in the, the offense's hands late in the game to go, to go make a, a miracle play. Um, at this point, it, we've seen time and time ago, uh, again that it isn't happening for them. So they've got to find another way to win, another way to get over the hump. And I think with the makeup of this team right now, you feel better about the defense being able to, to make big strides here over the last half of the season than maybe you do about the offense. Just with the injuries on the offensive line and guys in and out of the lineup, I, I think you feel better about where they are on defense right now. And, and I, I think th- there is room for improvement, and it wouldn't take massive. It's just a little bit more consistency in tackling. Um, if they can make one more play here, they can – get the interception as opposed to a pass breakup, if they can get home on a blitz as opposed to just forcing an incompletion and get that sack on uh, third down, whatever it may be, uh, just a few more plays here and there every game. And this team can be uh, among the best defensively. They've got some work to do uh, in rush defense. There have been far too many uh, busts this, this year, even with the improvement of the team kind of rallying to the ball and getting multiple hats to the whoever the ball is. Um, there's still too many explosive runs are given up. Um, I think they're 10th in the Big Ten in uh, yards per carry allowed, which it's, it's only like 3.9 a carry, so it's not like they're getting gashed. But uh, there are nine teams that are averaging that are giving up less than that. So that's definitely an area where they can improve. So um, I think you like the personnel enough there with the, the veteran safeties, veteran secondary um, the linebackers flying around, uh, the improvements guys like Garrett Nelson have made, uh, the defensive line, you've got four or five guys there that you feel good about. So I feel like they've got the pieces to be even better defensively than they've been. It's just going to be a combination of those guys kind of hammering in and, and taking care uh, of the little stuff and making that one to two more plays a game and, and the offense doing enough to where um, you're not wearing the defense out, which is what I thought we saw some early in the season where they, they were on the field for so many snaps um, with, the, with the offense struggling to, to get going. So that, that's kind of where that complimentary, um, uh, um, complimentary football comes in where you would, it's unfortunate that the defense didn't quite have its best stuff uh, in the second half of this game, um, uh, especially down there late, giving up uh, that, that, that 50-yard run that they gave up right after um, taking the lead back. That, that was just a killer. Completely flipped the field, and now uh, Michigan is in control. They, they bowed up after – well, they gave up a third down, actually, um, again, on that same drive. So took a 40-yard field goal into a little chippy 30-yarder um, to allow them to tie. So there, you feel like the offense did its part there in the second half, and then the defense was able to finish it off. We've seen kind of the opposite of that happen uh, in the Oklahoma game and the – in the Michigan State game. So um, you just got to hope that you can get enough phases of the game playing well and making the big plays when it matters most uh, uh, in order to pull off some of these upset wins over top 10 teams. Jacob, I think Husker fans, by a large part, I've been happy with the play of the Husker defense. It really feels like the Husker defense has earned their black shirts. And I asked Mike Babcock back in hour one to grade the Husker offense this season on A, B, C, D, F scale. I, w- I want to flip the question and ask it to you. What what grade would you give this defense for their play in the 2021 season? I'd give it a solid B. Um, like I said, they, they are um, probably that they're in the top half of the Big Ten defensively. Um, they've got a case for kind of cracking that top five with uh, kind of all things considered, but they're, they're not among the best 
in the league uh, this year. You were seeing uh, some of the defenses that are doing just a little bit more even than Nebraska has, Wisconsin. Obviously, Iowa with their ridiculous turnover rate. Um, I think those guys, those teams are a step above, but uh, Nebraska is firmly in the positive on that end um, with, with some room for improvement as well, like I was talking about down the stretch of the season here. Jacob, let's go to volleyball here a couple of minutes. What is flipped for Nebraska? Incredible win at Penn State. They followed it up against Rutgers. I know Coach Cook had his availability on, on Tuesday versus Monday, but uh, is, is Nebraska in, in the right groove right now? Oh, definitely. Um, they, right now they're, they're first in the, uh, the Big Ten in hitting. They're second in opponent hitting. They're first in aces, and they're first in aces allowed. Uh, just looking at Big Ten only matches, and obviously that um, that's only six matches at this point, and uh, schedules are kind of unbalanced. But that does include a, a Penn State team that um, hasn't lost anybody else in the league. Um, so, and, and you know that that they're always going to be really good. So, um, Nebraska is playing at a much higher level than they were at the end of the regular season. I, I asked Cook if he was surprised by the fact that they are leading the Big Ten in hitting, and. <laughs> He, he just said, yep. <laughs> that was a, I uh, kind of had a follow-up there, but that was his, his initial response. Was, yep, definitely surprised by that. So um, a lot of it had to do with, I think, uh, kind of Nicklin Haynes getting banged up, uh, injuring her ankle in the, the red-white scrimmage, miss, missing a few matches, and then um, kind of struggling to get back in the flow of it because that really, I think, destabilized the entire offense because you need to get those connections. You need to – um, kind of build up familiarity with uh, the new players in the lineup, the new hitters. Then you have Lawrence Stiverns coming back, and that kind of pushed everybody back more into natural spots. So they've had a lot of change through the first um, 10 or so matches uh, of the season, but now I feel like they're in a, in a good place right now where everybody knows their roles, that they're feeling comf- comfortable, they're feeling confident, uh, and, and, they're, and they're connecting at a high rate right now. Jacob, about 30 seconds. Uh, what, what's happening between now and the start for, for Husker Hoops? Uh, is it just about chemistry? Yeah, it's uh, about that. And um, just kind of, again, I think Hoiberg says it every time, but stressing, making the right plays, understanding, all right, this is what I need to do in this situation, and I don't need to do any more. And making sure that guys buy into those roles that understand, all right, this is what I need to do for this team. This is what he needs to do, and I'll let him do that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be me on every play um, because I do think they have uh, a lot of pieces um, to, to be a good team this year. It's just going to be a matter of how do these pieces click, how does the rotation shake out. I think that's kind of the, the other part is, of it is evaluating how lineups uh, perform together um, and kind of where that, that chemistry does develop because Hoiberg's got a lot of choices on his hands in terms of guys that he could end up playing uh, in the rotation and guys that might be on the outside looking in. Well, you'll have the choices. you got to make the right choices. Excited to see him and the staff do that. going to be a lot of fun for Husker Hoops. Jacob Padilla with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Follow Jacob on Twitter at uh, uh, Jacob Padilla underscore uh, on Twitter is where you find him. Jacob, great stuff. Thanks for giving us a few minutes and covering uh, all uh, the trifecta football, baseball, basketball, man. We'll, we'll check in next week, all right? Yep, always fun. All right, there he is, Jacob Adela at Jacob Adela underscore on Twitter is where you find him. Former Gopher coach Glenn Mason next. He's in his 30s. 
but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a caught pre-teen Swedish boy. Back into it, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Minnesota week, and we talk to Gopher and uh, KU Hall of Famer Glenn Mason with us. Coach, it's always great to catch up with you during uh, Minnesota week. How are you? I'm great, Chris. I always look forward to receiving a phone call from you when the Gophers are getting ready to play the Huskers. Well, it, it's Minnesota's had Nebraska's number, Coach, uh, the last couple of years, and We'll get into to the matchup here in a little bit, uh, but you know what, what's your what's your take on on this Nebraska team as you look at man this roller coaster of twenty twenty one for for Coach Frost? They've been so close so many times. Yeah, it's uh, it seems like uh, Scott has been snake bit. Uh, you know, the anybody that's been in coaching will tell you that those. Uh, uh, really close defeats. They're the ones that eat at you and kill you. You, th- you think if you get blown out, those are the ones that keep you awake at night. That's that's not true. But, you know, I, I've been anxiously awaiting like Cornhusker, most Cornhusker fans or all Cornhusker fans, you know, for Scott, you know, Frost to turn that program around and at least get it headed back into where they were back when I knew them back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I thought that, you know, Scott was – the perfect hire, the only guy for them to hire. And to be quite honest, I'm not trying to put any more pressure on him. I thought that he'd get him going in the right direction faster than he has. Uh, But if I was still coaching, Chris, I I look at Nebraska, if you look at their record, it's misleading because how they've lost those games. Michigan State overtime, you know, the one last week because the Martinez fumble. And you think, boy, they're a dangerous team because if they – straighten themselves on, on, out on a play here or there, they could beat anybody. Glenn Mason is with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Of course, you watched Coach for a number of years with the Big Ten Network and does radio uh, in uh, in Minneapolis as well. And uh, longtime uh, friend in the Big Eight and, uh, of course, in the Big Ten and uh, a little bit of time in the Big 12. Coach, you mentioned the, the timeline, and Scott went undefeated. Scott got hired away from Central Florida. And uh, big things expected, and, and do it now, right? <laughs> do it quick. You're a guy that that really walked into a couple of different places, and not only turned it around, but you won, and you won pretty quickly. And I think your KU teams, you had a couple finish in the top ten uh, that were really, really fabulous football teams. And then what you did at Minnesota, going to bowl games every year, winning eight, nine, ten games was was magic and uh in a, in a really brutal big 10 we're finding that out in, in nebraska that there ain't any off weeks man what was your philosophy what was your 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 plan your blueprint for the build well you, you know I, I used to say a number of times like chris it's a great question you know what was your three-year plan four-year plan five-year plan i said heck i didn't have one i said <laughs> you know my plan my plan was uh, let, let's try to get as good as we can, as fast as we can. I never adhered to that theory, even though the programs were down at, you know, taking a recruiting class and redshirting them all and saving for the future with the idea that they'd be better as, you know, as, as basically a fifth-year senior than they were coming in as freshmen. And I, 
I did that because I saw too many times guys go into programs and they make them better, but they didn't make them better quick enough. Mm. And after three years, they fired him, and the next guy came in. Uh, but w- what I did on this different day and age, uh, when I went to uh, Kent State, when I went uh, uh, to Kansas, and even when I went to Minnesota, if you looked at them statistically, offensively, you know, they threw the ball pretty well, but they couldn't run the ball a lick. Uh, and my background was at Ohio State where, you know, we, we really valued the running game. So uh, Kent State, when I went in there, I said, come hell or high water, we're going to learn to run the football. Same thing at Kansas, same thing at Minnesota. And I think the, the byproduct uh, in, in that whole thing, it makes your program tougher offensively and defensively. Uh, and it gives you something to hang your hat on. So uh, basically, you know, that's, that's what I did and, and just tried to, you know, recruit guys. Uh, you'll you'll like this story, I think, Chris. But when I first went to Kansas, you remember that the talent was terrible, mm-hmm. especially in the offensive line. And so I told my guys, I said, "We're going to go out and recruit. And if you find a guy out there, different day and age, but if you find a guy that's six four and two eighty five that can really play this game, forget about him. We ain't going to get him. He's going to go to Oklahoma. He's going to go to Nebraska. He's going to go to Michigan or someplace like that." And I said, on the other hand, if you find a guy that's 6'4", 285, and we can get him, forget about him. He can't play. So what we want to we do is we, we want to go and find a guy that might be an inch too short, steps too light, 10 pounds too light, but can play the football game, mm. likes to play the game, tough guy. And, you know, you think we, we had some guys that were offensive linemen uh, there at Kansas when the big eight was really, really tough. Hesley Hempstead and John Jones. You know, both guys we got out of California, and they were just too short. But they were great football players. If they were taller, they had been at USC, became all Big A football players, and helped us turn the program around. Glenn Mason's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, Nebraska, Minnesota Week. Coach, the, the run game is so on point with what you're talking about. Nebraska and a lot of teams have problems running against Michigan or Michigan State in third and two or, or second and three, no, running the ball when they know you're going to run it. You know, what do you do if you're Nebraska to, to continue uh, investing in the run game? And also, Adrian Martinez, he's so dynamic, he's so talented, he's so needed, but he's also been been turnover prone in the run game. Well, you know, you, you got to solve that turnover problem. Um, and you can't win games if you're turning the football over. And, and Martinez knows that. The guy plays his heart out, but you, somehow, someway, you got to hold on to the football. If you think about how do you run the ball in that real short yardage when everybody knows you're going to run it, put Tom Osborne's counter passing that they used to do. They used to run that counter uh, power play and then everybody knew they were going to run it and you stack everybody in there and then they'd fake the counter and they hit the tight end going right down the middle. You knew it was coming and it was like damned if you do, damned if you don't, but they were awful hard to stop. No, that, that counter pass worked out, and Nebraska moved Adrian a little bit on a couple of a couple of plays in the pocket, but we'll see. What's your take on, on Minnesota? What's your thought on this Gopher team? They're so injured, but, man, they've been so gritty against Nebraska. Yeah, they've, they've had Nebraska's number. It's, uh, uh, I, I still – I think uh, prior to – Nebraska coming uh, into the the Big Ten. Uh, the last time that uh, the Cornhuskers had gone there, it was in the early '80s. I think they put 83 points up on, on the Gophers. It was uh, uh, it was really a, a shellacking. But they they've had their number. 
you know, they've had some injuries. Uh, uh, Mohammed Ibrahim, who was the Big Ten back of the year last year, and I thought, deservedly so, he's the best back in the Big Ten. Really a tough guy. He's gone for the year. I thought this Potts kid that replaced him was, you know, really good. Not an Ibrahim, but now he's gone for the year. I don't know who else comes next. I don't, you know, it's hard to get, you know, when you get down to your third running back, uh, in most situations, there's going to, you know, be a pretty big drop off. I've been impo- uh, really disappointed with their offensive line. They got a big offensive line. Uh, it used to be the youngest offensive line in the country. Now it's the oldest, but they're they're sure not they're sure not you know playing like that. And Tanner Morgan, two years ago, he's as good as any quarterback in the Big Ten. Last year he had an off year. I think right now he's you know somewhat inconsistent. I think they're playing a little bit better defense, but last year they were just absolutely terrible. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop you, you and me running the football. Uh, but they're they're a little bit uh, better this year. But uh, I, I think that this game is really a crucial game for both programs. We're going to find out a lot more. I I think if uh, Minnesota, the way you look at their schedule, if they can get by Nebraska and they build momentum, they could have a heck of a year. And you look at everything that's happened to the Cornhusker, this is a must win for them. It is. I mean, you got, you got to take care of Saturday to, to keep that bowl quest going with uh, the way, you know, Wisconsin looms, Iowa looms, Ohio State looms, Purdue's out there, and Nebraska's struggled against everybody we've just mentioned, Coach, uh, when it comes to, 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 to their record. I mean, you're under 500 against uh, everybody. Uh, that, that we just laid out there. Glenn Mason with us, uh, legendary coach, Minnesota and Kansas with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, what's it going to come down to? And uh, I'm not asking for a prediction, but you know, when it comes to uh, when it comes to momentum and Nebraska, they they've been so close. We've hit on that, but I'm interested here from a from a physical and an emotional toll. Nebraska's seen everything. Do you worry about that Saturday for Nebraska? Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, the old adage, you know, you can't beat yourself. you got to avoid losing before you can win. They've got to protect the football, especially, you know, Martinez. Uh, but but when I look at the match, I think Nebraska, who's really struggled on defense the last year, I, I think they're better this year. I think oh, they're yeah. playing more aggressive, a lot more physical, and you're going against a, a wounded um, uh, gopher offense. If, if they can control that, run pass options that the Gophers like to run, and, and typically Tanner Morgan's really good at it. If they can control that, I think they can control the running game. They can control the game from there. And then from an offensive standpoint, if they can, uh, Nebraska, if they can play physical, they can get the running game going uh, because Minnesota has struggled for a couple of years now stopping the run. If they can do that and force Minnesota to commit more people than they'd really like to stop the run, then I think the play-action passes are there. What do you think about the Frost-Fleck dynamic? And I go back to Big Ten media days about sloganeering and if uh, offense was taken by Coach Fleck uh, with that comment by Scott Frost. Is, is P.J., do you think he's respected or is he tolerated in the league? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, um, uh, you know, I mean, he's got a, you know, he's got a stick to him. He's got a slogan for everything. It, it really doesn't matter. There's a million ways to, to skin a cat. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, if, if you win, uh, if you're respected, 
if you don't win, either you're liked or maybe tolerated. <laughs> so uh, I, I would have to say that, uh, you know, that uh, I think PJ's personality, the way he is, that if he's winning, he'll be respected. If he doesn't uh, win at a high grade, he'll be tolerated. And, you know, I, I think about, uh, you know, Coach Osborne, uh, who I really consider a friend. You know, mm-hmm. Tom didn't say much. But he won a lot, and everybody respected him, you know. I don't think he had a slogan for anything. He believed in blocking and tackling and playing physical and scoring points. Well, he did that a lot, and uh, so did your teams down at KU and also up in Minneapolis. Coach, thanks for the preview. Thanks for talking Huskers and Gophers with us, and we'll do this again. You have a good rest of the week, and, and thanks for the time today. Anytime. Thank you. Good to talk with Glenn Mason. And uh, his thoughts on P.J. Fleck, Nebraska, and uh, Collision Course Saturday in Minneapolis. Hail Varsity Radio continues. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday. Lincoln Orthopedic Center, Dr. Brandon Seifert. Dr. Brandon, how are you? I'm great, Chris. How you doing? Doing all right, man. And tis the season with all sorts of bumps and bruises in the NFL and in college. And a really pretty interesting feature story called The Agony of the Feet, not Defeat. And uh, you've got turf toe, uh, one of the most dreaded injuries in, in the NFL. Dr. Brandon, how, how much have you had to, to manage and, and deal with turf toe as, as a specialist, uh, as uh, a member of, of medical staffs uh, through your tenure? Yeah, you know, the, I mean, it's just, it's a terrific article. If, if your audience gets a chance to look it up, it's a really interesting article to read. They, they do a nice job kind of describing things pretty well, anatomically in particular. Uh, but yeah, definitely something we deal with a significant amount. Um, you know, obviously seeing it at all levels. Um, I see it on all different types of playing surfaces. Oftentimes, uh, we'll hear, uh, you know, comments about, hey, I think we only, you know, I think we see it only on this surface or we see it more on this surface, but really it does kind of impact all different types of surfaces that athletes are playing on. Uh, and it really is, I mean, that, that concept of just being a dreaded, lingering, nagging issue is exactly it. Um, you know, the article, you know, really touches on the fact that, you know, you think about, ACL fracture, you know, these big, you know, quote unquote, big injuries. Um, and, and, and people understand, you know, that there's a substantial recovery process with that substantial, you know, morbidity, debilitating effect to an athlete with those injuries. But what, what, uh, people don't realize is just the debilitating injury that, you know, this toe injury can be this turf toe plantar plate type injury can be so debilitating and so limiting to players. Um, and oftentimes fans may not know that, you know, that, athletes struggling with that let's get into just what it is and we remember Patrick Mahomes uh in the Super Bowl not one of his better performances but the guy was trying to to go John Wayne uh dealing with (laughs) with turf toe and what's incredible is just the amount of of work that goes into trying managing uh when you talk about taping icing custom insoles, specialized cleats, and you've got a part on on the big toe that can affect and reduce 
50% of an athlete's speed, and, and then you'll be fine for a while, and then it'll rear its ugly head. Can you exactly describe for our listeners just, we've heard of turf toe, but specifically what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, thinking about this anatomically, where this is, what 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 does it impact? I'll be I'll be trying to be fairly brief here, just in terms sure. of the anatomy of it. The anatomy in the area, is, from a biomechanics standpoint, is pretty complex. But essentially, if you think about you know think about your foot, let's think about the great toe, so your big toe, and basically where the that main kind of joint is, uh, your main joint with your with your great toe, where it kind of hooks onto the foot itself, kind of the, you know, your balls of your feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that joint is called the metatarsophalangeal joint, or MTP joint is how we say it, so MTP joint. And that joint itself is surrounded by this really thick tissue called a capsule. It's kind of like a balloon that surrounds the joint to kind of separate it from the rest of the body. And in particular, on the bottom side of your foot in that same joint, the capsule in that area um, has evolved to be very thick in that area to basically provide support or kind of a, an inferior bottom-sided plate to support that joint. Um, and so that's part of this process. The other part of this process is if you've ever seen an, an x-ray of a foot, the, the kind of bony anatomy that's here, there's two kind of tiny little small bones that are just on the bottom side of the ball of your foot called sesamoid bones, little pea-sized, marble-sized uh, shaped bones. They're, they're very small. Um, and you may look at that in x-ray and wonder what in the world those are for. But essentially what those are is they're, they're attachment points for two ligaments and then running down in between those Two kind of ball, two little small bones is a another uh, large tendon that involves basically pulling that great toe down towards the floor, kind of a flexion or what we call like a plantar flexion uh, maneuver. And so all of those play a role in this injury. So turf toe involves that area. And essentially, what happens is if you know if you were to kind of take your hand and push on the the bottom side of your great toe and kind of push that great toe up towards the ceiling. Imagine if you, you know, took something to measure that and you push that back, you know, 80, 90 degrees or more. That's essentially what we mean by like a hyperextension or a hyperdorsiflexion injury. So if you think about that athlete who plants the foot, rolls up on the toes, goes to cut, and then someone maybe lands on the ankle part and just pushes that foot up over the top of that great toe, that's how this happens. And so as that happens, the further along that process you go in terms of the bend part, the further along you go in terms of how much pressure the athlete's actually putting in that area, all that force, which can be up to five or eight, eight times normal force of just walking, gets transferred to that bottom part of the foot, and then you start injuring structures. You injure, you can pull the tendon, which would be the worst thing to do. You could rupture that capsule we talked about. You start to stretch those ligaments in that area, and then essentially you've lost the supporting structures for that joint, and now you have kind of a, a loose or unstable joint, and when you go to plant your foot and try to push off, you know, doing so with kind of an unstable joint. And as the joint's unstable, it slides, it's sloppy, that starts to push on other stuff like nerves, and that's where that real big kind of pain uh, spark kind of comes from, if you will. I mean, it's a dual-edged sword, Dr. Brandon. It's, it's pain management, it's uncertainty, and then it's also debilitating uh, mm-hmm. from regular form. You're not as fast or as agile uh, and then the the mental gymnastics begin trying to play through the pain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. And it, it does make such a big difference. You know, one, there's obviously you mentioned that, you know, dealing with the pain part of it. Obviously, it hurts a lot when you have this injury. When you think about the force that goes through such such a small area, then you start dealing with, okay, now it hurts or now it's unstable. Now I've lost that, you know 
powerful planting motion I have, so I can't cut as well, do my moves as well. And that's part of it. And again, then you start to have the mental issues there of not you know, feeling fully confident in the foot, you know, not being able to cut where you want to be. And then obviously, depending on what you know level you're at, you know, the pressure starts to mount with you know not performing at your level. Dr. Brandon Seifrance with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. The misery of turf toe, our topic. Dr. Brandon, when it comes to, to rest, rehab, and having that, that dreaded turf toe go away, is it just uh, battling time, or is it when it gets to be worst case, is there surgical intervention? Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of, uh, like a lot of ortho, uh, sports medicine injuries we've talked about on here, and definitely a, kind of a grading scale that's there. Again, it's one of those kind of simple scales. You have a grade one all the way up to grade three. So, you know, a grade one kind of turf toe sprain is just kind of stretching things a little bit, but haven't really caused any substantial damage. You're looking at about a two to three week recovery, just some rest, probably going to put some type of orthotic or device in your shoe to take pressure off the area. Moving up into a grade two, now you've kind of stretched those tissues a little bit maybe a little bit of some looseness is there, a little higher pain level associated with this one. Maybe you're looking at about a three- to six-week kind of timetable for return, um, but probably heals on its own with time. Getting into the grade three area, that's when you start to really kind of pull these ligaments apart, tear the capsule. Uh, that's when you're looking at either A, you, you've got a season-ending injury you're dealing with here, or B, you do some symptomatic treatments to try to just nurse it along for the season, and then you work on doing some kind of, you know, surgical fixation at the end of the year. Dr. Brandon Seifert. Dr. Brandon, very fascinating. Thanks for your insight on this. Uh, We'll get caught up again and uh, stay away from that turf toe. (laughs) Sounds good, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time on a Wednesday midweek edition. Rate, like, feedback, rating, whatever you want to do. Uh, do it to it with the podcast, Hail Bar City Radio. Your chance to subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play is uh, where you find us. And Elijah's all over it with the uh, on-demand ESPNLincoln.com. The interview is posted there. Also, give ESPN Lincoln a follow on Twitter because some of the SoundCloud two-minute drill uh, items will be posted daily. And uh, take us with uh, at your convenience. So give us a follow on Twitter as well at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. And uh, big day tomorrow. We are loaded up. We'll talk with Jeremiah Searles, get his preview and uh, take away from Michigan to Minnesota. We'll hear from Searles. Uh, Brandon Vogel going to be with us. Gary Barnett, Barney Ball. Get his take on uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, the weekend action. And uh, who else am I missing? Oh, yes, the pride of Chicago. Danny Burke will have some best bets for us. NHL underway. So he may hit some ice, some early season ice and uh, NFL action. But, yeah, a lot of Big Ten action. What a what a wild last weekend. Good ball games, but not the, the volume, Elijah, of great ball games this weekend. Uh, well, I mean – I don't think uh, you can ever predict that Texas A&M is going to go upset Bama. No, and I don't. Think- the pirate. We'll have the pirate on next week, 
but the Pirate gets to take on Bama now after a loss. Well, and then also just the type of second-half comebacks we had last week with uh, Iowa coming back on Penn State. You had, can't forget about Oklahoma coming back on Texas. Uh, Just incredible, incredible stuff. You could even call Nebraska's third-quarter performance against Michigan a bit of a comeback. Uh, Just great, great weekend of college football last weekend. And really, uh, there's been some talk out there that this college football season could be shaping up to be the, the best one since 2007, just in terms of the the, the unpredictability, uh, how many top 10 teams are falling, the, the, the competition level in college football this year. This is shaping up to be one of the most exciting finishes to the year in terms of p- teams trying to race uh, for that top four finish to get in the college football playoff. And let's not forget, just conference champions as a whole. I, I couldn't tell you who's going to win any of the conferences right now. Nope, Cincinnati looks all right. Does Oklahoma stay unscathed? Does Purdue continue to have Iowa's number? This weekend in, in Iowa City, that's uh, always a, a dicey ball game. Let's get you a pair of tickets right now to Chris Stapleton. Is PBA going to be uh, incredible Friday night? We want to send you there. We have another pair tomorrow to give away. And do you want to go? Yes, you're shaking your head. What caller do you want to do here? Uh, let's give the people listening online a bit of a chance. Let's go like caller nine cool with that caller nine it is elijah has set the number so caller nine four six six three seven seven six four six six thirty seven seventy six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five caller nine now a pair of chris stapleton seats for you for friday pba with hale varsity radio and espn lincoln caller nine eight hundred eight two five Five eight six five or four six six three seven seven six. Great stuff from Glenn Mason today. Mike Babcock, Mike Shuhart, Jacob Padilla was fantastic with padding the stats. Caller nine now. Go see Chris Stapleton Friday at PBA. Caller nine with Hale Bar City at ESPN four six six three seven seven six. Back at you tomorrow at four. Thanks.